welcome to Beyond the Grave, a podcast that explores cemeteries and the like to tell the stories of those who lie within or those who've been commemorated in some way. Whether a final resting place is in a graveyard, the bottom of the ocean, or the only marker to prove in existence is a simple memorial, there's always a story behind it from Beyond the Grave. I'm your host, Jamie Johnson. I'm not an expert on the subjects we discuss, I just have an interest in them. This is episode number, what is it, 16 today, and today I'd like to welcome back Noel Richardson. Hi, Noel. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. Um, Quick little uh, disclaimer here. We'll be talking about death. Well, not really anything too gory. We don't usually, but we do swear, so listener discretion is advised. Um, Purpose is to educate, so if you don't like it, then you can move on. Um, so episode 16 today is our dearly departed for space burials. So we're going to tell you a couple of stories of people who've had a space burial. Um, I will go first and I'm going to tell you the life story of James Montgomery Doohan or Doohan, however you want to pronounce that. I looked it up. I went to, you know, how you can type in how to pronounce this. Mm, Oh yeah. Yep. And I went to two different sources. And both sources had two ways of pronouncing it. So I'm going to say Dewan. Some say Duhan, whatever. James Montgomery Dewan. He was born March 3rd, 1920 to parents Sarah Francis and William Patrick Dewan. Both parents emigrated from North Ireland and settled in Vancouver, British Columbia. So this was where James was born. He's Canadian. He's Canadian, wow. Cool. Very cool. So at some point, they moved to Serena, Ontario, where James graduated high school from Serena Collegiate Institute and Technical School, or SCIT. He joined the Canadian Army in 1938 at the age of 18. Two years later, in 1940, he was sent to England for some training. I don't know what that entailed. This this all came from Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Yes. Rephrased in my own words, of course, but... I didn't dig any deeper than what what Wikipedia gave me. Uh, On June 6, 1944, also known as D-Day, James was on Juneau Beach participating in combat. So he saw some action there. He saw some stuff. Totally. He shot two snipers. Wow. That's impressive. That is impressive. He led his men through a landmine field to safety. And that same night, he had to cross between a couple of posts. And as he was crossing one of the posts, some idiot soldier... Um, mistook him for, like, someone else. They thought he was, like, an enemy. Oh. And uh, he fired at him from a Bren gun, which, if you didn't know, is a machine gun. And he was hit by six rounds. So, uh, had it not been for a silver cigarette case in his pocket, the bullet to his chest would have killed him. He didn't die? He didn't die. What? (laughs) No, he had a cigarette uh, tin in his chest, and that saved his life. So, that was a gift from his brother. So he's very thankful to his brother for that. Um, the other four rounds, he got hit in the leg, and then another one, he it took out the the middle finger on. I wrote left hand, but I feel like it was right hand. That'd be the worst finger to lose. Your middle I, finger? Yeah. I know. How do you flip people off? How do you flip? Yeah, exactly. It's like you can't even double. You can give him one finger, but you, yeah, but you, sometimes like when there's an asshole driver, you need to do you the double finger, like mm, both. Yeah, you guys can't see me, but I'm giving the double finger right now. So he took an air pilot course, he passed, but he never ended up joining the Royal Canadian Air Force. Uh, he, in 1945, he used his training to slalom a plane between telegraph poles. Oh. 
uh, just for fun. So it's Why like, not? I just wanted to make sure that you could actually do it. I think he had a bet with some of his friends. He was like, yeah, I could totally do that. Watch this. <laughs> He's like, watch this. I can so do that. He got some serious shit for that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if anyone's interested, the plane that he was uh, slaloming was called a Mark for Oster. Uh, from that day forward, his comrades referred to him as, quote, the craziest pilot in the Canadian Air Force, end quote, even though he didn't join the Air Force. So whatever. Um, when the war was over, he moved to London, Ontario. While furthering his technical education, he was inspired by a radio show to do some voice recordings. In truth, he thought the show that he was listening to was shitty. And he was like, fuck, mm. I can do better than that. <laughs> so he went down there and was like, hey, check this out. And then he did some voice recordings for them. And they were like, yeah, you're good. You're good. Yeah, You're good. So he ended up getting several radio jobs for CBC. He also won a two-year scholarship to the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York. Wow. Yeah. He studied theater with, uh, and these are like old, old, oldie, old names. You probably don't know them. Leslie Nielsen. Don't know him? No. Did you ever see the Naked Gun movies? No. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, you're too young for that. I'm young, folks. Yeah. He's young. That's okay. The, ne- the next two, I don't know. Tony Randall and Richard Boone. Maybe not too young for these. Um, He worked in radio over the next several years, starring in over 4,000 programs. Wow. In 1949, he married Janet Young. They had four children together. They divorced in 1964. Uh, Three years later, in 1967, he married Anita Yagel. They divorced in 1972. In 1974, he married Wenda, or Wendy, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I want to say Wenda. It's just got an E on the end. Yeah. Wenda Braunberger. And together they had three children. Uh, when they got married, he was fifty and she was eighteen. So, uh, yeah, nice. That's <laughs> like that's the... older than your dad. How old is your dad? My dad is like forty-five. Yeah, so your dad is as old as my husband. And I'm eighteen. Yeah, that so would. That's, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but for the time, I guess it's. I don't know. I, when I, like, you don't have an opinion on this? My my grandparents, my grandpa was 35 and my grandma was 16 when they got married. Really? Yeah. Oh. And like you just see some of their wedding photos and it's like... She's a child. That's a child. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also like, well, times were different back then, I guess. But I suppose. I, I'm like, I, don't I know. suppose. But in 19... Okay, so when he was 50, that would have been 1970. So in the 70s... At least she was 18. No, wait. This math isn't working out. Okay, so his last... Okay, he... 1974. No, he would have been 54. Okay. Whatever. Um, their last child was born when he was 80 years old. So, they were having kids. They were. <laughs> they were still getting busy. They were still getting busy, yeah. Good for him, though. Good I for think, him. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fruitful marriage. Um, so what he is known for, if you didn't know this before, if you don't remember from the last episode, uh, he had a role on Star Trek. He was, uh, Scotty. Did you ever hear like, yeah. beam me up Scotty? You know how in our show, our, even they're beam like, me up, beam Scotty. me up. And, but anyway, his role on Star Trek was not the first time that he appeared on TV with William Shatner. That's Captain Kirk. If yep, you didn't know. Yep. You knew that? I did know that one. Yeah. Good. Okay. Space Command, a Canadian sci-fi series for children, saw both Dewan and Shatner together in the mid fifties. In real life, they didn't actually get along. Uh, Doohan 
Dewan was the only cast member of Star Trek to refuse to participate in Shatner's two memoir books about the show. So Shatner got dissed. Some bad blood there. Well, apparently they made amends um, at some point because a year before Dewan died, they were seen together at a convention being friendly. So I don't know if that was just for appearances sake or if they were actually getting along, but they they seem to have made up. Uh, So Dewan's character on Star Trek was played as Scottish because when producer Gene Roddenberry asked him how he liked to perform the character, he said, quote, uh, if you want an engineer, in my experience, the best engineers are Scotsmen. So he played it with a Scottish accent. And he also has Scottish heritage, too. So um, Scotty wasn't the only role that Dewan took on Star Trek. He also ended up voicing a lot of the inanimate characters. Mm. Sadly, though, his role on Star Trek left him as a typecast actor, and he had issues getting roles that were uh, not either parodies of that character. Mm. So he kept playing like the same guy all the time yeah. or it, cameos of himself, like just referencing, Hey, the guy that played Scotty on Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he didn't really get a lot of, um, good roles after that. So Futurama, do you ever watch that yeah. show? Yeah. Um, they wanted to use his likeness, but he was like, no, I'm, I'm done with being Scotty. So he refused. Uh, so they just created a different character. They called him Welshie, and oh. it was basically him. Um, and then they ended up like redshirting him out, <laughs> the character. So it's, it's on the wiki page. It said he got the red shirt treatment, and then you can actually hover over red shirt, and it tells you like, yeah, th- this is th- it, they're usually the ones that die first. Die first. Yeah. Um, so his lifestyle and role in the war ended up playing a part in his numerous health issues. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. he had a lot of problems. He lived. That guy lived. That well, guy lived. he lived, he married, he multiplied. He also had cirrhosis of the liver, osteoarthritis, hearing loss, and high blood pressure. When he was 80? Yeah, he was like... like making his kids? Yeah. 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 He wasn't doing too well. No. No. Uh, 2004, he announced that he had both Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he was, he just, he lived a rough life and he ended up dying the following year from pulmonary fibrosis. And they say that that's probably because of all the exposure he had to like toxic shit during the war. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so he had his ashes go to space on three different missions. The first mission was in 2007 on the Space Loft XL, which went into suborbit for four minutes and then returned to Earth as planned. The second mission was in 2008. That mission was a failure. And then he was also on the Falcon 1 rocket. Uh, that was the third mission in two... Oh, wait, 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 sorry. Um... The second mission was in 2008, and the mission was a failure. That was the Falcon Run. Okay. Falcon 1 rocket. The third mission in 2012, that was the Falcon 9 rocket. Uh, his family sprinkled the rest of his ashes in Washington over Puget Sound. Now, do we know, did he want this, or is this something his family like did after he died? Wikipedia didn't say. Didn't say. <laughs> I wonder if he like put in his... I don't know. Like, I don't know how you would arrange like do you, when you arrange your like burial and stuff i wonder if you i think that people a lot of times will be like oh 
so-and-so would have loved this or they would have loved yeah. that. This well, is fitting. Yeah, yeah. So for him, I'm honestly not sure. Um, it's but weird. I... It didn't say because some of the other ones that I looked into that I had considered writing about, um, it actually specified in there that they knew about this and they wanted this as their final wishes. I almost wishes. wonder if he, because if he hated playing Scotty like towards the end, if he would have been because that's what he would his yeah, biggest thing like... would have been associated with, right? Even like space Star Trek Scotty, ah, or if he would have just been like fuck. Put Not me in the ground. In space forever. Yeah, so I don't know if that was like his family were like, oh, he, he, he liked space. He Star Trek. Yeah. Huh. I never thought of that. That's good. Don't know. Interesting observation. I, yeah. You always ask me the questions that I'm like, I didn't research that. I don't know. <laughs> I was at, you I ask asked very the good questions. Hard I know. Questions. No, you ask very good, good ones. Okay, so next, Noel is going to tell us the story of Moretta Nell West. Yeah, so Moretta Nell West. For whatever reason, her name was not listed on the wiki page for space burials under the notable burial section. She is should have been. It should have been, yeah. She is listed on Celeste's, Celeste's website. She was born August 9th, 1915 in Elk City, Oklahoma. So a little, little farther from Canada. A little bit. A little bit. She grew up in Oklahoma City and graduated from the University of Oklahoma in 1937, earning a Bachelor of Science degree in Geology. Two years after graduating, she marries Albert Reichard and divorced the following year. Is that how you'd say that? Reichard? Yep. Yeah. Divorced. So just a quick, quick marriage. In the 1940s, she found work in the oil and gas industry, working as a plutonium geologist. Well, that's... No. Petroleum. Petroleum. Oh, that's yeah. a little different. Yeah. That's, yeah. Pl- plutonium is like. Plutonium is like a toxic, or not a toxic, a radioactive. Yeah. Her local paper, the Daily Oklahoman, once referred to her as the feminine fossil finder. Cool. Yeah, and I tried to find that article. I tried to find anything in the newspapers from her, but I couldn't. Like, there was the, nothing. Nothing. It was really hard to find. Like, I spent, oh God, hours trying to dig stuff up on her and then there was a lot of like you need to buy a subscription to this you need to buy a subscription to that like you can't just randomly look up old newspaper archives online you have to like you have to pay a lot of money for them and I can't afford to buy a subscription to every newspaper I come across so I just I don't get paid for this people so yeah this is just for fun um in in 1964 she joined the United States Geological Survey an agency that employs scientists who study the U.S. landscape and resources to determine any natural hazards, such as fault lines and the like. She becomes an astrologist, astrogeologist, that's a big word for me today. Astrogeologist? Astrogeologist. She was the first woman to do so. In the 1960s, she joined the geology experiment for Apollo 11 the first space flight to land humans on the moon in 1969. She was the only woman on the team, and she was responsible for mapping out the site on the moon on which they landed. She worked on other sites for lunar landings as well. For her hard work, NASA gave her a mug, but not just any mug. It had the Apollo 11 mission patch on it, as well as the autographs from each of the astronauts. For the 30th anniversary of the mission in 1999, NASA broke the mold for the mug to honor the team. I don't think it's that special, but... I don't I think it's... I was like, they gave her a mug? I'm like, I know. Like, for her accomplishment, like, maybe this mug is super coveted. I don't yeah, know. I'm not an It's probably in a museum somewhere now. Like, she probably wanted money. 
Well, money or even a certificate or something. Yeah. I don't know. Fucking mug. Fucking, like, it seems a little... You give you give people mugs when they come and, like, guest speak at your, like, place. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, thanks your for, corporate thanks merch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, this free thing. I don't know. You can probably buy Apollo 11 mission mugs now for, like, You can. $3. I looked it up. Yeah. Like, you can buy replicas of, of this. Can, it's, like, yeah. what's so special about it? It looks like... It just looks like like an old school like beer stein yeah. kind of thing like yeah. with that fancy handle. It's, I mean, maybe she was like, "Cool, this mug is awesome. I will cherish this for the rest of my life." Maybe people like highly covet them and value them. I personally would just be like a mug. A mug. Thanks. Thanks for all my hard work. Yeah. Thank you. It's like when I worked at the mall. Um, actually, when I worked anywhere, any big corporate place, and they're like. We really appreciate all this hard work you've done, and here's a keychain like, with thanks. our logo on it. And you're like, great, great, thanks, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Wait, I'm sure some people appreciate that. I'm sure some people like the mug. In college, well, this is okay. This is getting back to her life now. Yeah. In college, she was part of the Kappa Kappa Gamma fraternity in the Beta Theta chap chapter. Yeah. I don't know fraternity. Beta Theta. Beta Theta, and they awarded her the alumni. Uh, achievement award in 1970 they featured her on the cover of their magazine this award is the highest honor for personal and professional achievement See, according... that is a piece of recognition i would have appreciated yeah no being on the cover and like having a whole article yeah. written about you and stuff like yeah. i mean she didn't even get listed on the notable burials on the wiki page for like when we went through the first episode yeah like she wasn't listed she on. She wasn't her. listed on. But She's she the was... one who figured out where they landed on the moon and mapped it out and everything. And that seems. You know, she got not, shafted. She got shafted hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So Ken McTaggart, who writes in the uh, Apollo Luna Surface Journal, that he believes that the West Crater at Apollo Eleven site was named for Moretta, he asked Eugene Shoemaker to clarify, but he passed away before he could confirm or deny. That sounds sketchy. That sounds like some like black suit government guys like grabbed him. <laughs> yeah, well, Eugene Shoemaker, he was the one that actually had the lunar burial. Oh yeah, that's right. I thought I recognized that name. Yeah. But still, it's like they took him. He he died before he could answer. Yeah, and then the answer is not very satisfying either. The United States Geological Survey, Don Willems, Mary Chapman, and Gary Schriebler, 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 I don't sure. know. Provided his answer in 2004. The crater is actually named for its directional location and not Moretta. Okay, that's lame. I Isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty lame. I know. That made me so sad when I saw that because I was really excited when he was like, hey, was this named for her since she's the one who mapped like, it out? I was no. super stoked to be like, okay, what is it? What is it? What is it? Because when I looked on the, when I found the website with his journal whatever in yeah, it yeah. um it was really tiny fonts so you had to like read through a whole lot and then i'm reading it reading it reading it i was like oh bummer it wasn't named for her that's lame i know um, we can pretend it was we can yeah we'll, we'll just, just cut all this out let's just say it was <laughs> it was named for her during the 1970s she continued to work as an astrological astro astrologist for the u.s space program mapping landing sites for both manned and unmanned missions to the moon and mars she wrote several articles and publications over the next decade. When she retired, she moved back home to Oklahoma City. I can't say the A words today. Astrological. Is it astro astrologist? Astrogeological. Astro. Oh, it is. What did I say? Astrological. Oh, oops. Astrogeological. Like zodiac. <laughs> it's all good. Do you want me to go back and do no. that? No. Okay. No, it's fine. We. I know what you're saying. Okay. And frankly, 
it doesn't matter if you say it wrong and we don't correct it. I really don't care. Um, so she did pass away November 2nd, 1998. And on April 28th, 2007, her cremains were on the maiden flight for lunar, bur- lunar burial aboard the Space Loft XL. So they just held on to her for like nine for, years. Yeah, yeah. Um, the description appears to indicate the result was a failure. Her remains were recovered and another attempt was made to launch her remains into the low Earth orbit. The following year, aboard the Falcon 1, but that failed. On Celeste's website, her biography is listed under the Lunar 2 flight, which is a scheduled mission. Yeah, I mean, that was the one that cost like $12,000 or something crazy right. like that. So, but so... it failed the first time. Then they were able to recover her yeah. and send her back. But like... So they're, they're, they're planning on sending her back to the moon. Oh, they so haven't they... yet? No. No, that Lunar 2 flight is still scheduled. Oh. So for... Uh, what is it? Ten thousand two hundred dollars or something like that. You can you can have your. Oh yeah, get let's get back to this. Just send your smidge of your loved one up. Your to tiny the, tiny little tiny little sack. Yeah. Oh no, that one's only ten thousand. Oh. To go into deep space, that's the one. Oh, that that's that's better. Yeah, t- it's only ten. That's only ten. Yeah. That's well, why why aren't we doing that then? Uh, well, it's, it's only, only ten. A pinch. Yeah. But um, who was it? Was it? I think. I think it was this one. I think it was doing that had seven grams sent. But so yes. his family spent a lot of they money. They spent a lot of money to but go to get him up there. I'm still on the whole like why I'm dead. I don't care. Just... Yeah, if you want to send me to space, go for it. Go for it, but, but I just I have no interest in it. Yeah, not my thing. Okay, our last dearly departed for burial in space is someone I actually. Uh, looked up on the Celestis website. So he's not a famous person, but he had a really nice story. So I just thought we should share this one. Um, This dearly departed's name is Thomas Wayne Hanley. Uh, Thomas was born in Dallas, Texas, 1959. He was born with scoliosis and kyphosis. What's kyphosis? That one's the hunchback. Oh. So he had like a, a spine curvature and then oh, he also so had... his spine just fucked. It totally fucked. fucked. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But this is why this guy's story is so awesome, because okay. it didn't get him down at all. Um, he spent a good deal of his childhood at the Society for Crippled Children. He went through multitudes of physical and occupational therapy. Unfortunately, the therapy didn't work. They used sandbags on his legs to try to, like, create a traction system to make him walk, and that didn't that work either. That terrible. No, he went through a lot of shit. Um... Finally, they're like, okay, well, let's do some x-rays. And they discovered he was actually not born with a hip socket either. So he had oh. scoliosis, kyphosis, and no hip no socket. No hip socket. Yeah. Fuck. So crippled, um, struggled at the young age. And yeah, they figured out what the problem was eventually. Um, at the age of eight, they gave him a major surgery at Scottish Rite Hospital to fix his legs. He ended up in a body cast for six weeks. Um, they wanted to fuse his backbones as well. Yeah. But he was like, no, don't do that because then you can't move at all. Like, yeah. It would just yeah. be pointless. So he ended up learning to walk with leg braces and crutches, and then eventually he did it without the crutches. So he had braces. No. He could move around okay. Um, he had numerous surgeries over the years. He had to have lots of casts, lots of braces. Um, not once did he complain, though. 
So he spent most of his time in the hospital just chatting up the nurses and other patients. He'd Hitting go and up visit. the nurses? Totally. He's, he was a people person, this guy. Um, brought smiles and laughs. He had a good sense of humor. Uh, he earned a bachelor's degree in communications from Texas Tech wow. and specialized in graphical illustration. Um, he found work with a company called Raytheon. That's a defense contractor and cybersecurity solutions company. It sounds like, I don't know, some high-tech security company. Yeah. I don't know. It just it sounds secretive. Um, I didn't look much further into it, but it just it sounds like a pretty big deal. Uh, he was a graphic artist for them. He designed project logos and patches for NASA and for the government. Um, because his hip socket was missing, he couldn't sit down. So he'd end up working like double shifts sometimes to meet a project deadline. And he yeah. was super happy to do it. He was like, yeah, got it. But he had to stand the whole time. He had to stand the whole time, but didn't complain. So the work that he did, though, it was actually right up his alley. He was always interested in anything space related since he was a kid. He started with a Matt Mason space set. I had to look up Matt Mason. He's some character that Mattel created. And there's a feature film in pre-production right now that will star Tom Hanks, um, though he hasn't confirmed it. Uh, he followed the Apollo missions and always inundated his family and friends with his space knowledge, so this guy was definitely a space geek. He loved planes. He could identify any plane in the sky or museum. He even went so far as to point out a mistake in a museum exhibit that showed a plane hanging technically incorrect. Um, so he was like, hey, this He's is like, wrong. Hey, fucking change this. <laughs> change this shit. That was at the Smithsonian. and at the Smithsonian. Yeah, like a pretty high Sweet. profile museum. And Sweet. they were like, he's like, this is wrong. And they were like, no, it's right. And he was like, no, it's wrong. And then they argued about it for a while. And then finally they conceded and they were like, oh, no, you're actually right. You're right, it is wrong. <laughs> you're right. It is wrong. So they fixed it. Um, on a Friday night, you could find him and a friend having beers at the end of an airport runway just watching planes come in. Have you ever done that? Sat at the end of an airport. No. No? And just like had a plane come in over your Isn't head? Isn't that illegal? It probably I don't is now. Know. First time I saw it was in Wayne's World. Did you see that one? No. No? Um, that was a little bit before your time. Um, but they would just like lay there and the, the planes would come in Go for over. a landing and they would just be super loud and so close and it just, I don't know. I, I would like, love to do that. I just feel like now I never want to just hang out around an airport. I Why? Feel like, I feel like you get like shot. For hanging around an airport? Yeah. By who? I don't know. The government? You never know. <laughs> huh. I wonder if you can do that. I think if you live near the airport... You're probably okay. You'd... But I don't know if you could like go on a runway. No, I don't think you could actually go on a runway and... I don't know. I don't know. Well, he did. And he he had... did. He was fine. Yeah, they even had beers. So other hobbies of his were building radio control planes. He was a member of the local RC club. He also made freshwater aquariums, and he made his own bog with carnivorous plants. Oh, that sounds cool. That does sound cool. Like Venus flytraps and shit. His loved ones described him as loving, highly, highly intelligent, very witty, and one to never forget anything. His best trait was that he was, quote, resilient with a no complaints, just figure it out attitude. So he He's was cool like, dude. oh, super cool. He was like, crippled. Fuck this. No hip socket? Fuck that. I can still get around and do things. He even had a truck that he had outfitted with like hand controls. Nice. So he would sit across the thing vertically somehow, and then he would just drive with his hands. So, oh. yeah, nothing got this guy down. It was pretty awesome. Um, 
It was the relationships he built with those around him that made him super memorable today. He would leave milk and Oreos for his oxygen guy because he knew he liked them. Aw. And he got him gift cards, too. And then he would give him the gift cards with some of his graphic illustrations. So the, or the oxygen guy would have some of his drawings. Uh, his best friend was his neighbor when he was nine. So they were still friends, like, right up until he died. Yeah. They would text and talk every day. So people were basically just drawn to him everywhere he went. Um, in 2001, a failed CPAP machine ended up, uh, resulted in carbon dioxide poisoning. So that meant for Tommy, he had to be on a ventilator for the rest of his life. Again, that didn't stop him. He's like, ventilator? Fuck that. I can still get around. So he was still, he had to have this breathing device, but yeah. he, he'd still walk around and still do all the things that he would do normally. Yeah. Like this guy was just like crazy, completely resilient and super positive. He never complained. He was just like, He's just like Fuck, let's this do is it. just a little bump. It's a little hurdle. Yeah. We're just yeah. going to move past it and just go on with life. Wow. So yeah, he was pretty fucking awesome. Uh, sadly though, um, he had a terrible accident that claimed his life in 2018 he tripped and the ventilator disconnected. So oh, that's how he died. How he, oh. Yeah. Um, this is just a really nice quote that I pulled from his obituary on the Celestis website. So I just want to end this one with this quote. Um, this is what they his, his loved ones have to say about him. Quote, our bodies are just our shell, our package to carry our souls on this earth. It doesn't matter what our packages look like. It's our soul that defines us. Tommy was a living example of this. It was not his physical issues that defined him. It was his resilience and how he handled his challenges with grace and acceptance. Never complaining, always ready to find a solution or accept and change course. One of his favorite quotes from Led Zeppelin was, and though the course may change sometimes, the rivers always reach the sea, end quote. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that nice? And have they sent him yet, or is he scheduled to be? If he died in 2018, they probably haven't sent him yet. Oh, shit. Noel, why do you do this? <laughs> um, okay, so this was... I feel like I want to look this up now. Okay, so if anyone's going to look this up, it's on celestis.com. It's under the participants' testimonials site. And I think it's the uh, first... You know what? I'm just going to fucking look it up. Because I feel like a tool for not having answers for you. It's okay. Yeah, I feel like he's probably, he's probably scheduled. But, you know, actually, I feel like... Because I know we talked about before, like, why would you ever be, want, like, why would you want to be sent to space? Like, why would you ever pay the extra? But I feel like that story kind of, you know, he loved space his whole life, but he physically could never go. Yeah, he wanted to be an astronaut when he was a little kid. Yeah. So his whole thing was, like, I wanted to be an astronaut, but my physical body wouldn't allow wouldn't me to allow do me that. To go. So he, yeah. just, he just fell in love with space. Um,. Space anything. Okay, so Horizon Flight mission status open for reservations. So, so he's got a spot. He's got a spot. Um, flight is limited space. Forty nine ninety five will get you aboard. Um, only forty nine ninety five. Yeah, I thought these ones were only a thousand. Do you have anything else you want to add? 
I don't think so. Okay. So thank you so much for tuning in to Beyond the Grave. Uh, please feel free to support the show by telling a friend, give us a review, or subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, links for those are in my show notes. If you have any suggestions for future topics or you have your own story you want me to share, you can email me at beyondthegravepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to today's host, Noel Richardson, for joining me again. Thank Thanks, you for Noel. having me. Thanks for having pleasure. me back. Thanks for coming back. It was my pleasure. You were a great host. You asked really, really good questions. 